الحمد لله الحمد لله يا رب العالمين الحمد لله له الحمد في السماوات والأرض له الحمد في العشي والإبكار له الحمد في السراء والضراء وله الحمد على كل حال وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله الملك القدوس السلام المؤمن المهيمن العزيز الجبار المتكبر سبحان الله عما يشركون وأشهد أن سيدنا وحبيبنا وهادينا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبد الله ورسوله وصفيه وخليله لقد جاءكم رسول من أنفسكم عزيز عليه ما عنتم حريص عليكم بالمؤمنين رؤوف رحيم فإن تولوا فقل حسبي الله لا إله إلا هو عليه توكلت وهو رب العرش العظيم ما يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له ومن يعص الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له أما بعد أيها المؤمنون <coughs> Dear brothers and sisters You and I are living the realities of the world around us. Alhamdulillah that we are mature enough to observe the back and forth that is taking place either verbally or viciously and in all of this, we have an Islamic character. <coughs> we are, and alhamdulillah, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us enough information to have us immune from the fanaticism and from the impulse to harm unduly another Muslim or another human being. <clears throat> this of course comes from the high standards of the Quran and the Sunnah. The standards and the values that are enshrined in our teachings and in our orientation. <clears throat> The ayat in the Qur'an speak, outline, define, 
personalities that were probably some of the most outstanding individuals that we should skip the pollution of history, skip all of that, and go directly to what they did and what is confirmed of what they said. This is what has to be done. When the Quran, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the muhajireen, go in your time to Allah's words about the muhajireen. Will you find anything in the community of the muhajireen that is vicious? that is antagonistic that is bloodthirsty the ayat in the quran that speak about alladhina tabawwa'u ad-dara wal-iman about al-ansar you find in these ayat in the quran that speak about al-ansar as a group of people, not talking about individuals, speaking about as a community of people, do you find any meanings in the Quran, which is the book that every Muslim from the first day of Islam until the last day of life understands to be impeccable, faultless, and pristine? Do you find in that book any viciousness, any accusations emanating from them against the other Muslim? So we come to our present generation, the people we have, the Muslims we have around us today, and we realize that some of the words that some of them say are contrary to the understanding of the ayat in the Quran and the verified hadiths of the Prophet. And unfortunately, because of the load of history, we are carrying a historical load that we have to unload. But because of this historical load, it all comes down to two personalities. After the Prophet, there are two personalities that are polarized, that are in some people's minds opposite each other. One of them is Omar and the other is Imam Ali. Some people think and this doesn't come from understanding the Qur'an or understanding their own history, but it comes from the Asabiya. It comes from some personal interests. It comes from sectarian attitudes. They want to have you believe that there was some type of tension or even some type of animosity 
between these two individuals. Now, all Islamic history is not encapsulated in two individuals. But this is the way some people want to present the issues. Let us take a look at what Al-Imam Ali said in Nahj al-Balagha, what he said concerning what happened after the Prophet passed away. So we can get a better understanding of, hey, let's look around and see our attitudes today. Do they fulfill, do they meet the standard of the speaker in Nahj al-Balagha? He says, I'm going to quote, فَمَا رَاعَنِي إِلَّا انْثِيَالُ النَّاسِ عَلَى فُلَانِ يُبَايِعُونَهِ فَأَمْسَكْتُ يَدِي حَتَّى إِذَا رَأَيْتُ رَاجِعَةَ النَّاسِ قَدْ رَجَعَتْ عَنِ الْإِسْلَامِ تُرِيدُ يُرِيدُونَ مَحْقَ دِينِ مُحَمَّدٍ فَخَشِيتُ إِنْ لَمْ أَنْصُرِ الْإِسْلَامِ وَأَهْلَهِ أَنْ أَرَى فِيهِ ثُلْمًا وَهَدْمًا تَكُونُ بِهِ الْمُصِيبَةِ عَلَى أَعْظَمِ مِنْ فَوْتِ وِلَايَتِكُمْ هَذِهِ الَّتِي هِيَ إِنَّمَا متاع أيام قلائل يزول فيها ما زال كما تزول السراب أو ينقشع السحاب فنهضت حتى زاح الباطل وزهق واطمأن الدين وتنهنه Now, what does this translate into? The translation goes something like this. What astonished me was, this is Imam Ali speaking, what astonished me was the cascade of people towards so-and-so. He means Abu Bakrin. Pledging allegiance. He saw a rush of people going to Abu Bakrin. So I withheld my hand from being actively involved until the time came when I observed people defecting from Islam as a central authority. Now the word as a central authority is my translation's clarification. At that point, I was concerned that if I did not come to the aid of what we say today, the Islamic cause, Islam would suffer a blow and a flaw which would dwarf my exclusion from being your primary authority. Walayatikum. Which is only a matter, this ruling over you is only a matter of fleeting days to vanish like a mirage. So I rose up to dislodge the bottle for the deen to have a breathing space. 
The first observation here is, these are his words, anyone can go refer to what he said in Nahj al-Balagha. When you go there, the first thing you observe is his statement that there was a flow of people going to pay allegiance to Abi Bakr. This is a description of a social reality. That did not mean these people hated Imam Ali. It did not mean these people were marginalizing Imam Ali. What it meant was that the Asabiya, that this society during the time of the Prophet had laid to rest had to be dealt with and the only way it could be dealt with was not to bring this asabiya back in the form of a ruling family because that's the way they were going to understand and i keep on saying this that's the only way that they would understand the combination of hukim or mulk and the wahi revelation came to the prophet and everyone conceded to that. But not everyone conceded to the qualifications that were to be embedded in the Prophet's household. They could not accede to that. Their interpretation of it was, or would have been, look, the Prophet took power from all of the tribes of Arabia, and now the power is in his own tribe and furthermore in his own family as simple as it is to understand this we have 14 centuries of traditional build-up on both sides of the issue that make it very difficult to understand this reasoning that's the first thing in what he said you do not detect that Abu Bakr or Umar did something that could be considered obviously in contradiction to Allah and his Prophet. Nothing that he said indicates that. So why, why do people make out of this issue? It's not that we have scholars who are taking this issue and looking at it in a measured way. No. We have spokespersons who are taking these issues and then instigating bad feelings among the Muslims. And these bad feelings are later on armed with weapons, with assaults, with civil wars, and the rest of the information that you have, knowing what is happening in this world, that unfortunately cannot be traced to its roots. Anyone who wants to speak about the first years of Islam, these issues that we are pointing to right now, speaks about them with either fanaticism or discrimination or alienation or the hatred of the other that's how they that's how they bring up these issues 
from what we know when Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman ruled Imam Ali did not oppose them in the sense that there was some type of hostility between him and them he may obviously he did not agree on some of the decisions and some of the policies that they were responsible for that is obvious they among themselves the sahaba did not agree on some of these issues but in this atmosphere there was no hate anyone and we have the british type of sectarians the american type of sectarians the israeli type of sectarians all of them and they're on both sides trying to convince you the average muslim that somehow in this issue there is hate there is animosity from what we know al-imam ali when he spoke to abi bakrin or umar or even uthman when he spoke to them he spoke giving them advice was no conflict bring even in the darkest books of fanaticism try to produce for us one instance in which there was an expression of animosity from the imam towards the khulafa just bring us one instance impossible because it did not exist and that once again i reiterate that doesn't mean that they did not have their differences allah subhanahu wa ta'ala surah al-an'am ayah 108 he says this ayah is telling the Muslims don't bad mouth don't curse those who the mushriks call upon besides Allah the mushriks had their own deities they had their own authorities this ayah is saying to the Muslims don't bad mouth those deities and those authorities those who they call upon in, to the exclusion of Allah the consequence of that is they themselves will bad mouth Allah with an air of hostility and ignorance now this same attitude this same instruction could be applied to those who are lesser than allah 
If we have certain people who disagreed in history, we look upon, I mean, these individuals, whether it's Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, other Sahabis, other members of Ahl al-Bayt, they have a status and an aura to them. Undeniable. Some of us allocate different proportions of this status and aura to these different individuals. And we know that. When a Sunni or a Shi'i Muslim meet, they know that their perception of these certain individuals have a fluctuating percentage of respect, admiration, and esteem. So if they had their differences among themselves, what purpose does it serve if some Muslim stands up in a public gathering, in a lecture hall, on TV, the satellite TVs are all over, the internet, YouTube, and the rest of this stuff, social media, and then they begin to badmouth a person who is respected by another Muslim, to one degree or the other. What is served by that? Who is benefiting from that? We know that there was a war at the beginning of our history. There was a war. The Battle of Safin. Who who is unaware of that? What happened in that battle is the people of Iraq basically were at war with the people of Asham. Basically, that's a rough way of putting it together. And then the people of Iraq began to badmouth the people of Asham. Now, this is not only history. You, if you're tuned in today, you will capture some of those historical moments. And how did once again in Nahj al-Balagha? How did how did the Imam Ali address this issue? And I'm going to quote. إِنِّي أَكْرَهُ لَكُمْ أَن تَكُونُوا سَبَّابِينَ وَلَكِنْ لَوْ وَصَفْتُمْ أَفْعَالَهُمْ وَذَكَرْتُمْ حَالَهُمْ لَكَانَ أَصْوَبَ فِي الْقَوْلِ وَأَبْلَغَ فِي الْعُذْرِ وَقُلْتُمْ مَكَانَ سَبِّكُمْ إِيَّاهُمْ رَبَّنَا حَقِّنْ دِمَاءَنَا وَدِمَاءَهُمْ وأصلح ذات بيننا وبينهم واهدهم من ضلالتهم حتى يعرف الحق من جهله ويرعوي عن الغي والعدوان من لهج به What does this translate into? When الإمام heard some of his followers from the people of Iraq when they were using sharp words offensive language insulting phrases against the enemy his instructions to them was 
I detest you cursing. They were cursing. If it were that you describe what they do and their condition or status, that would be more a more appropriate expression and a more eloquent pretext. If you would instead of insulting them say, our sustainer, and this could be applied to today's world, sanctify and retain our lives and their lives and reconcile us with each other and guide them out of their waywardness so that an ignorant person comes to see al-haqq and so that those who are in the orgy of aggression desist compare or contrast the instructions and the guidelines that the Imam gave to his followers to some of the attitudes today some of them are expressed publicly and some of them are expressed privately that seem to disclose an attitude and a psychology of we are scoring against them this is time to celebrate and this is in reference to what's happening now in Syria and in Iraq where are those committed Muslims who say Allahu mahqin dima'ana wa dima'ahum wa aslih dhata baynina wa baynihim this would be the correct uh, this is the difference between an imam who sits at the pinnacle of morality and those who claim that they are following him and then using the language, tune in. I'm not saying everyone, obviously. I'm pointing to those who are financed by the British and the Israelis and the Americans to ignite a civil war of sectarianism among the Muslims. Another issue that obviously when money plays its part, you don't hear much about it. But this is also in our common history. And I don't know if you've ever heard about this. But during the movement of the Islamic forces westward, e excuse me, eastward from Arabia towards Persia, Omar, the second Khalifa of the Muslims, contemplated the idea that he wanted to accompany the Muslim forces to the Persian front. Now, I don't mean here to touch on anyone's national or ethnic or historical sensitivities. It has nothing to do with this. So when he was contemplating doing that, he went to an Imam Ali and asked him, what is your opinion? 
Should I go with these forces? I'm thinking about doing that. And Imam Ali advised him, no, do not do that. And he explained why. He said, first of all, if you do that, you will leave a gap in al Medina." And the second reason for that is if you show up at the war front, this would motivate the enemy to go into higher gear of ferocity in fighting against the Muslims because they would want you. So here is an Imam Ali in defense of Umar. And this is probably also one of those chapters of history that the Israelis and the British and the Americans do not want Muslims to speak about. Omit that from public presentations or discourses because what this will do is it will indicate that there was an understanding interrelationships, intercommunication, interconcerns among the committed Muslims of the Prophet's generation. A generation that we should all be proud of if we can identify those who are sincere to Allah and His Prophet and those who were munafiqs and less than sincere to Allah and His Prophet. And I may remind you also that when the serious issues surfaced, when things became very contentious among the Muslims, we're no longer speaking about al-Muhajireen and al-Ansar and al-Ladheena jahadu fi sabilillah and al-Ladheena sabaru and al-Ladheena awa wa nasaru and al-Ladheena ma'a Muhammadun Rasulullahi wal-Ladheena amanu محمد رسول الله والذين معه الشداء على الكفار رحماء We're not speaking about that generation. We're speaking about the following generation in which there was a personality that came and subverted this moral political order. So when King Muawiyah took over I challenge any of you, go back to your history books. You can pick anyone you want. And try to find whether Muawiyah was in his in making his case to the Muslim public, whether he was defending Abba Bakrin and Omar. True, he was defending Uthman. But he wasn't defending Uthman as a Khalifa. He wasn't defending the Khilafa itself. He was defending him out of Asabiya. And finally, he worked on this Asabiya until Islamic governance was diverted in the wrong direction. It is very unfortunate that these facts do not surface in your average masjid, your typical Islamic center, and your everyday speakers here and there who are going about trying to create this division 
among the Muslims. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to enlighten them and to deliver us into a future that is accommodating a future of equality, a future of freedom, and a future of justice. Wallahu yaqulu al-haqq wa huwa yahdi al-sabeel ud'u Allah subhanahu wa antum ala yaqeenin bil-ijabah wa tubu ila Allah inna Allah tawabun rahim. Alhamdulillahi bi jami'a al-mahamid ala jami'a al-ni'am وصلى الله وسلم على المبعوث خيرا ورحمة وهدى لكافة الأمم محمد النبي الأمي وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم Dear committed Muslims We are living in a world that needs minds that are made by Allah and His Prophet, shaped by the ayat of the Qur'an, molded by the character of the Prophet. That's what we need. We don't need people who come to Islamic centers and to masjids every week doing what? What are they talking about? When we are bleeding, when we are the pity case of the world, and we practically waste a couple of hours every week during Jumu'ah time, it's a sad statement to say. But I think it's a factual statement to express. We have these wars in our territories. Muslims belong to one geography, regardless of the different residencies that they have. So we have what is called proxy wars. Everyone fighting their war in our domain. In this past week, Actually, in the past couple of days, the regime in the Arabian Peninsula deputized another regime. I'll be frank and blunt about it. The Saudis told the Kuwaitis, the officials of Saudi Arabia told the officials of Kuwaiti of, the, of Kuwait, go to Iran and speak to them. We have issues dividing us. And these issues are the wars in Iraq, in Syria, in Yemen, and in other places. That's major issue number one. Major issue number two is the Hajj. Last year, we put the Saudis put so much obstacles on Muslims from Iran performing the Hajj that the Muslims in Iran said, 
you're making Hajj impossible for us. The third and lesser issue are those three islands in the Persian Gulf that are a point of contention between Islamic Iran and the British Emirates. So the Kuwaitis are on their way. You and I know that a major figure in Iran passed away last Sunday. May Allah have mercy on his soul. He was a bridge builder between the Islamic Republic and the Arabian Peninsula. Anyone who who knows anything about diplomacy and politics would immediately concede that this person wanted to improve relations between his country and especially those those petro-rich Arabian countries. After he passed away, the smaller countries in the Persian Gulf, actually all of them, except Saudi Arabia, they sent messages of condolences to the authorities in Iran. Saudi Arabia refused to do that. Last year, almost a year, a little over a year ago, the Saudis, in their misbegotten policies, they executed one of the scholars from Arabia. And as a result of that, there was a reaction to that in the Islamic Republic against the Saudi embassy, and the Saudis closed down their embassy. The other other Arabian Gulf states, they didn't close down their embassy. Some of them may have withdrawn their ambassador, but they didn't close down their embassies. Which means in that internal GCC, the Gulf Cooperation Council makeup, they're not at ease with each other, with what's happening, especially vis-a-vis the Islamic Republic. Just recently, the Saudis sent out a message to the officials in the Islamic Republic that we want to discuss this matter of Hajj. Meaning that they may have realized that what they did in this past year did not, in the long run, does not serve what is called their national security. Another indicator of the folly of the Saudi regime is when the president of Lebanon, you know, Lebanon right now has a president, and he's allied with the resistance in Lebanon, and he's considered in the camp of Iran and Syria and Hezbollah. His first visit outside of Lebanon was to Saudi Arabia, and he was received like no other visitor. They went out of the Saudis went out of their way protocol wise to show hospitality and a welcome attitude towards him another issue is internally these Saudi occupiers of masajid and holy sanctuaries they're split among themselves as to whether 
the agreement between the Islamic Republic of Iran and the five plus one concerning nuclear capabilities in Iran, they are split whether that's good for them or bad for them. Some of these princes support it. Among them, Turki Faisal, he used to be the ambassador here for a couple of years or so. He, he thinks and he calculates that this is to the advantage of the Saudis, along with other princes. But then they have in their own family princes and officials who are opposed to that. There's two issues that you may not be aware of inside of Saudi Arabia. The Saudi government has imposed austerity measures on its citizens and its residents. They're taking away a lot of money from the public domain. They are canceling a lot of contracts that they had. At the same time, they said that the Saudi officials said they are willing to give three billion dollars to the Lebanese army. The average Saudi is now saying, and this reminds us of some of the individuals in Iran. They're saying, why are we spending this money in Lebanon when we deserve it more at home? So the problem that used to be in, in Iran a few years ago when it peaked, it's, the problem has not gone away. The same type of problem right now is emerging in the Arabian Peninsula. Why are we spending all of this money all around the place and now we are paying for it because our students no longer have the scholarships they used to have? We are being taxed. The utility bills now we're going to have to pay. There's no longer the health coverage that we used to have. Everything is going down and why are we doing this? That's issue number one. Issue number two that the average Saudi is asking. You now are sending a message to the Iranians that you want them to come to Hajj this coming year. But you, the same you, the same officials, you in Saudi Arabia are the ones who said that this past Hajj with the absence of Iranian pilgrims has been the, the most decent, the most peaceful Hajj in the his, in the contemporary history of Hajj. Now you're not making sense to us. The average Saudi is internally saying to himself or herself about their own regime that it's no longer making sense. The United Arab Emirates, who is a sidekick of the Saudis, just had five of its diplomats killed in Afghanistan, its ambassador was injured. For, by who? 
Remember the Taliban, the three governments that recognized the Taliban? Saudi Arabia, the Emirates, and Pakistan. And who are the ones now responsible for a wake-up call for the Emiratis? They'll never wake up. Who's that? You know who it is. In the Maghrib, in Morocco, it's the burqa is officially banned. And it's causing a debate among those who say, no, we shouldn't do it, and those who say we should do it, and the back and forth in all of this. And the Saudis are beginning to feel Morocco is considered also a very close and bosom buddy ally. And when the officialdom in that country goes against the covering of the face of women, then that sends a message to the Saudis. The Saudis, the official line in Saudi Arabia now is to promote entertainment. They have a project now to establish a movie theater, a cinema in Jeddah. And they're talking now about singers to be presented in their media, their TV, their radio, and all of this. And the mufti of that land said, we should approach this subject very carefully and cautiously. And now they are looking for what they call the wasati ulama, the moderate ulama, who could give legitimacy for their 2030, it's called 2030 program. This 2030 program is to modernize that arcane kingdom. And where does it come from? It comes from the same people who have colonized Palestine. They not, only, they not only stole land, they stole Islamic hostility. They, they are now physically in the Holy Land and they are mentally in our books. They've claimed that hummus and falafel and fool is Israeli. And now they are Hebrewizing Abdul Halim Hafiz and Umm Kulthum and Fayrouz. We never, we never went one millimeter in that direction, intruding on the sanctities of Jews and Christians, and look what they are doing to us. And this is what happens when we have Islamic centers that promote ignorance, and they expel knowledge. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna attiba'ah, wa arina al-baatila baatilan warzuqna ajtinaabah. ولا تجعله ملتبسا علينا واجعلنا للمتقين إماما ربنا إننا سمعنا مناديا ينادي للإيمان أن آمنوا بربكم فآمنا ربنا فاغفر لنا ذنوبنا وكفر عنا سيئاتنا وتوفنا مع الأبرار ربنا وآتنا ما وعدتنا على رسلك ولا تخزنا يوم القيامة إنك لا تخلف الميعاد 
ربنا صل على محمد وآل محمد ربنا بارك على محمد وآل محمد ربنا صل على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم ربنا بارك على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة